0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. a podcast is dedicated to the parents of children struggling with the effects of trauma and attachment disorders, and the caseworkers, coordinators, and other professionals who support them. Your host, Karen Doyle-Buckwalter, will introduce you to Tiffany Sedilla-Junker, who will discuss connection versus compliance and parenting kids with attachment difficulties. Tiffany Sedilla-Junker is mother to two children with vastly different trauma-based special needs award-winning documentary, My Name is Faith, captures the Junkers' early journey coming to terms with the impact their daughter's difficult beginning would have on them all. With her own growth process as an example, Tiff mentors and advocates for an empathy and connection before correction approach to parenting children with unique trauma-based special needs, and stressing extra mindfulness, humor, attunement, self-compassion, and reciprocal atonement as key ingredients to helping tough kids achieve higher function and healthy, meaningful, resilience-building relationships. And now your host, Karen Doyle-Buckwalter.
1: Hello everybody. Um, I am happy to be here today with Tiffany Sadella junker and we are going to be talking about um, the idea of connection versus compliance. We're going to be speaking specifically about parenting kids with attachment difficulties. And um, I'm going to let Tiff share a little bit about her background and how she comes to um, the idea of learning about attachment. So, Tiff, go ahead. Tell us all about you. Okay. So,
2: um, Twelve years ago, twelve and a half years ago, my husband and I adopted two kids um, through the state of Texas. Um, We were fostered out for a little while and moved into uh, until our adoption finalized. And... um, We, you know, expected some challenges with our kids, um, but we expected things to kind of level off in short order. And, um, when they didn't, we started realizing and studying and learning about, um, attachment and trauma and, The issues that they would have related to that and so that's kind of what my last 12 years has been has been learning how to more effectively parent them and support them through those challenges Mm
1: -hmm. you know one of the things that I think that parents have shared with me a lot in a journey to find answers for their children is getting a lot of contradictory information feeling like um You know, one book is saying to do this, or one webinar, or one person, and another person is saying something different, and professionals contradicting themselves, and the psychiatrist contradicting the therapist, and, um, you know, I think even our topic today relates to that, um, this idea of uh, how do we parent these kids. Um, So, share a little bit about your experiences with that. Did you feel like you were giving contradictory information? Absolutely. I feel like
2: um, when we, you know, we had these ideas about parenting in general, when we kind of went into this and we had the perspective and that was reinforced by the classes that we took and all that, um, you know, kids who come from hard places and hard backgrounds would need, um, you know, a- extra support in the beginning. And then things would just kind of level off and you would parent them the way that you parent any child. Well, what we found was pretty, you know, right off the bat, we found that. Um, And and I had uh, been a caregiver for for kids. I was actually a nanny for kids with special circumstances and high-risk situations. And um, what I found is that what worked in terms of managing behavior for other children did not work for my kids at all. It just didn't, Mm -hmm. and so that left me feeling like I was doing something wrong, and um, like everything in the book says to do this, and so from there, then finding, you know, kind of figuring out what was going on with our kids, and then seeing professionals, and the information that we got from professionals, then was you have to parent differently, but then we found even those professionals disagreed, Mm -hmm. so... So, you know, we were, when we first started, we were taught you have to get them to accept limits to, um, know that they're safe, that they will know that they're safe because you've provided this very strict structure and you're not allowing things. And, you know, so, so that kind of, that was the first thing. And then we started learning more about the brain and, um, and, and started to sort of evolve through that. But definitely lots of different information coming yes.
1: at us. Well, and even looking back 12 and a half years ago, everybody was saying different things than probably what they're saying now, whether or not they're coming from a real high-structure um, idea um, or more of a um, connection or the word I like to use is attunement. Um So tell us a little bit about your journey from from learning, you know, some of this very, very high structure um, compliance based techniques. I always feel like the message with that kind of parenting um, is that if you don't get compliance from your child, your child's going to get sicker and sicker. And right. so then parents, Even if there's something in their gut that's telling them, I don't know if this feels right, they feel a responsibility to override that feeling in service of their child healing. And I wondered if you had any experiences like that. Oh, you just totally described my
2: early journey. (laughs) Because, um, you know, I was the, you know, like, going into this, I was this very free spirit, you know, like, take the kids to the mall in their tutu, you know, like, (laughs) like, it's okay, if they don't want to wear shoes to the wedding, kind of like, that was me, I was totally about, let's just express ourselves. And, you know, like, that was just me. And then when I found that I had My, my, you know, my daughter didn't, that didn't work well for my daughter, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, what, you know, when she first came to us, I noticed one of the peculiar things that I noticed right away was that if somebody asked her her favorite color, because that's one of those questions that people just ask when they are getting to know somebody, Mm -hmm. like, what's your favorite color? And her, she would always I noticed that she would look at them to see what they were wearing and she would say that was their, her favorite color, Mm. you know? Uh Uh-huh. It was like, so it wasn't like, I didn't feel like she was able to be expressive and that caused friction and, and difficulty for Mm -hmm. us, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And so then we learned, you know, sort of structure everything out for her every minute of the day structured out. And if she doesn't, have, like it felt like if she doesn't have a an opinion give her one you know <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like and so that was really counterintuitive for me and I did have this sense of um, like desperation and fear that if I didn't help her get a handle on um, this behavior that she was demonstrating that that all was going to be lost, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And a therapist that we worked with back then said that families in the situation that we were in have this way of envisioning their kids. You know, like most people envision their kids like getting married and going to college. And, and and the parents, I was, you know, like as a parent, I honestly did have that vision of my child like behind bars. <laughs> mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was scary. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I think that what you just said really does hone in on exactly. It wasn't the way I envisioned parenting. It wasn't how I wanted to parent. It didn't feel good, you know, being so structured and and um, and having so many. What it felt like was we were all about having to impose consequences, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it really did start to. Um, really all I feel that happened was that it, it created this, what I used to call this mental chess game in our home where it was like one move she made, we made a, a, a move to counter that. And it was just this spirit of thwarting each other mm-hmm. instead of a, a spirit of connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was once we kind of let go, got to a point of being able to let go of making sure that she was accepting limits and complying, we started to actually have a relationship with her, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that was, um, that in itself was also counterintuitive, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, so now let's focus on connecting with her and getting to know her as she is, regardless of how she's, Behaving And and there was a lot of judgment that came at us from that, you know, because we weren't sort of punishing every single thing that happened. And so that was a whole nother host of um, of difficulty in and finding a balance of that structure and um Nurture that fit for our family was really hard.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I think of, I love those words because with my heavy background in therapy, nurture and structure are two of the four dimensions, and I think that you, can, you have parents that are a little bit one way or the other, just coming into the game, like, more, maybe someone's more structured um, in just how they do things, how they run the house, how they live their own life, and then you've got the nurture people, more free spirit, more fun, more spontaneous, um, and, you know, you can't have all of one or all of the other, you know, or you can have problems, and I think... Um, I always say, you know, when you increase structure you have to increase nurture and if you don't, you can end up going this direction that feels almost more like a boot camp or a prison or, or something like that. Um, but as you just said, it's so hard to find that balance.
2: Mhm. Yeah, it was really hard and it and, and it and it's one of those things that even as we've sort of mastered what that looks like for our family, which has definitely been a uh, a huge learning a 12 year long learning process for us um, um even finding that we still slip into that panic of um you know seeking justice like if if my if we can't if there's if there's not justice here like how's she gonna learn that's one of the things that people used to say to us that would just, like was a huge trigger for me. How are they going to learn? How's she going to learn? You know? Mm-hmm. And the, the answer to that, the true answer to that is she's going to learn in her own way, in her own time. Mm-hmm. That's what we've come to realize. Mm-hmm. She's going to mm-hmm. learn in her own way at her own top ta- in her own time. And the same is true for my son.
1: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm.
2: as a parent, um, do you feel like it's your responsibility to make them learn?
1: Yes, yes, and I think um, you know some of the the parenting methods that I was exposed to when I first started reading everything about this in the late nineties. They do they did talk a lot about restitution, which I think is similar to this kind of justice idea. And I mean, I think there can be consequences, and you can you know ask that your child does have some kind of restitution, but like you said, once it gets so almost out of control, like you said, it feels like we're making chess moves, you know, one way or another, and there's this scale. You know, I also think that um, back then, the things I was reading were really describing children with attachment problems, as really like little sociopaths or psychopaths yes. and, and so the idea was like y- y- you gotta treat them that way you know um <laughs> and I think that's where some of this came from too It sounds like you were exposed to some of that idea also
2: for sure I felt like I was running a boot camp or a prison you know mm-hmm. when we were trying to follow and, and and i think that along with that sentiment that everything would level off and and it, that we were given the idea that if we did this this totally rigid totally structured um not allowing people getting, focusing on accepting limits and accepting boundaries and all of that. If we would focus on that for a period of time, then it would just be something that was accepted by our children. And then they would just kind of fall in line and everything would fall into place. And that's just not how it worked, you know. And what I came to know is that um, neurology doesn't work that way, you know. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. There are things that I still struggle with that I would love to fall in line that haven't yet, you know, and the same is true for for my kids. So um, getting less focused on things falling in line um, was really a huge support to us. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that we didn't get anything out of the stuff from those early Days and those early programs, we definitely did. Um, but I think that when you're actually living and implementing those programs, it's really tough. It's really frustrating and really hard to keep up the level of nurture that is required to match that level of, of ultimate structure. And it's really hard to not get caught up in trying to be perfect, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. trying to be perfect and require perfect.
1: Yes, 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 yeah. And, you know, you're kind of leading into what I wanted to ask you next. So you made this shift um, that you're describing from your approach with your children. Some parents that I've worked with, when they begin to understand more about brain development and when they begin to understand the impact of trauma on the brain and things like this, then they feel really guilty or badly or shamed that, wait a minute, like with what I know now, I don't know if that was the right thing to be doing. And here they were like going along with what professionals were telling them. Like, what do you say to that? That seems like a no-win situation for parents. Absolutely. And
2: I actually feel, um, I, I mean, and, and, Um, Working with the Attachment and Trauma Network now and um, and talking to parents often, um, that is a huge issue. That's a that's a kind of a like uh, a big a big thing for me is that I am I am adamant that parents not not do that to themselves because i think definitely it's kind of like for us when we knew better we did better mm-hmm. and i'll be really honest too my my husband really struggles to Balanced, you know, to, to kind of let go the compliance thing and, and making sure he's, he's very black and white and very structured himself as a person. So it is really hard for him to just kind of let something go. Like, you know, I'll I'll give you an example. My son, um, my son when he gets really dysregulated, he swears kind of like almost like Tourette's like swears. I mean he just swears, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to to take a breath when he's, you know, sworn at you because he's dysregulated and go, okay, what I have to recognize is that no response that I have right now is going to help. this situation is only going to escalate the situation. So I need to calm and self-regulate my, you know, for me and I need to allow him and provide him space to do that for him. Mm-hmm. And then once it's calm, I'll go back to him and mm-hmm. we'll work it out, mm-hmm. you know, and we, it always does work.
0: Mm-hmm. But in that
2: moment, when you've been sworn at, immediately your brain goes to, oh gosh, he's going to do that to a police officer one day and he's going to be in the back of a car and he's going to be driven to jail immediately or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so it's scary, mm-hmm. but but the reality is that now we've come to accept that once his neurology catches up that in and, and to hold on to the idea that hopefully by that time that won't
1: happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) and that we don't have any control over it right now anyway. Mm
1: -hmm. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So did I answer your question? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, I know I did that article a while back on my child has attachment problems. Now what? And was talking about maybe some red flags, you know, if someone's telling you to do this or that, uh-huh. That might be a concern that, that maybe the person's not implementing the most up-to-date ideas and information. Um, <laughs> right. what, what do you see as a parent, some of those like things that maybe you were told that now you're like, eh, yeah, not so much. I, I, I don't think I would recommend that at this point with what I know.
2: Right. I think that that's a great question. And first of all, I love that article. <laughs> Thank um, you. The, um, one is for me, if somebody tells you that it's going to take a year for things or any amount of time for things to be, you know, normalized or stable, I, I think that that's a huge red flag because I'm on my own growth trajectory as a parent. My children are on their own growth trajectory and kind of where, um, we end up is, is, is up to us it's not it's not up to um you know what a book says if you follow this program right. for this long that's right. just not something right. that and then the other big red flag for me is um when it's compliance based you know if something is behavior modification or behavior controlling or be you know behavior management the truth is It's just, it just doesn't work for kids with attachment and trauma-based challenges in my experience. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Not with either of my children who are both on sort of, I always say on either end of the spectrum of attachment and trauma, Mm -hmm. Um, their behavior is very different. Their neurology is very different, but still those compliance-based behavior modification, incentive-based, you know, traditional you know, level kind of things just don't work for them
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And um, and what I find with them, the other big red flag is if anything promotes or enables shame of any kind, it's not a good idea, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's just not because I feel like our kids already come from this baseline of shame mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. They already have more difficulty building resilience because they're coming from that place of shame, Mm -hmm. and so anything that promotes that—it's just not going to work. You know, anything that continues to make them feel less than or not worthy, or Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. not going to work,
1: right? Or something that might humiliate them, or um, sending or make them feel rejected. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And
2: those were the things that felt really counterintuitive to me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and I do think your point about there there not being consequences. Like, I'm not saying no consequences. Everybody do whatever they want. Right. Right. (laughs) And certainly, you know, not saying that. But I'm I what I am saying because I I look back at those times and and when I look at my regrets as a parent. Um, it's really those times when I, when I look at when I was like, all right, that's it. I've had enough of this. I'm going to teach you a lesson right here and right now. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the times that I regret
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: because I really did not effectively teach anything except for that. I was the bad guy, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and my child was already looking at the world and looking at adults through the lens of, adults are bad guys Mm -hmm. and you know all I did was reinforce it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I think you know I heard someone say once you know I used to feel like it was us versus the kids but now we're on the same team totally and I thought that that was like such a nice you know way of saying that
2: and I actually say those words to my kid. Every time we have a conflict, um, I will say, Okay, so before we continue talking, I want us to both remember that we're on the same team, that mm-hmm. I'm on your team mm-hmm. and your highest and best interest is my highest and best interest, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of will like stop the escalation and and, and acknowledge that right then. Mm-hmm. And if it can't if if my child isn't able to receive that in the moment, then I know this is a conversation for later.
1: Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. Timing can be it's very important, you know? Right. So uh, definitely before we move towards yes. wrapping up, I wanted to talk about just your own process as a person and as a parent. And I know you've been um, doing some work with Brene Brown's material, even have developed um, a coloring book, which I want you to tell people about and talking about using some of her language for wholehearted parenting and presenting on these concepts. But where where did you have to go in terms of your own process, um, in terms... To, to move this along in a different direction, to, to either, one, maybe forgive yourself for some things that maybe you don't think were, were the best, um, but also to, to just let go of some things and change and um, be open to, to new information. What's been your process to...
2: So, um, in 2012, my husband ran across during his lunch break, Brene Brown's Ted talk on vulnerability and shame. And he brought it home to me. He was like, you have to listen to this. You have to listen. And so we listened and, um, and then immediately got all of her books and just started just going crazy with all of her stuff. And it spoke to me so it just profoundly changed me, my life. Um, and her wholehearted parenting manifesto was exactly what I wanted for my kids. And so where I kind of, what happened was I plastered it all over my house <laughs> yes. and I started trying to live it just like I did with Dan Siegel's work and Bruce Perry's work and, you know, all of that, Dan Hughes and all of it. Um, and It was difficult. It was really challenging with my child. And so I started really kind of reflecting, okay, so why is this what every parent wants for their child so difficult to implement with my family, with my kids? And as I started really, really diving into that and reflecting on it, I realized that what it really did come down to is what I said earlier, which is that my kids were coming from this baseline of shame. They were, in, you know, coming from that. So I started thinking about, you know, what I have learned over the years about being trauma-informed about neurology and all of that. And I sort of evolved that into what became this addendum that I wrote for families, um, for us, for our family mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and started living by that. And and once we started living by that, things just sort of started clicking for all of us. We mm-hmm. were all feeling more seen and more heard, and you know, I just it just kind of transformed us. That did so. Um, so yeah. So so that and then we ended up. Now I use that in trainings. And, yes. and it's the number one thing that when I do a training, people want to know more about and want to access and
1: and all. So. So that's the next question. How can parents <laughs> access some of what you've created around this topic? Well Or um, therapists who would like to share it with parents?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I've had... Um, yeah some requests for that and I'm so excited about it but so what came from this one training that we did with um kinship it was a kinship placement and um and foster adopt uh families a training that I did with them is um we were we decided to do a, a mindfulness coloring book for parents that included Brene Brown's work and a a way of using this book, and we've made this um, mindfulness coloring book that has all of these sort of paradigm shifts and changes that, um, and realizations that we had in our family to accompany it. And so we created this this coloring book, and um, I'm hoping to use it in my trainings. And then we're I'm working through the Attachment and Trauma Network to start making it available to families. So um, that's still kind of evolving, but uh, but very soon through the Attachment and Trauma Network.
1: Okay. um, it be available to families and to therapists. Okay, great. Well, Tiff, I always love talking with you, and today is no different. Um, and I, I just really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and just really admire your willingness to so honestly share your own journey. So I appreciate that so much, and I want to thank you for that. <laughs>
2: Thank you, too. And I guess um, one of the things, too, is I just hope that um, that families will be willing to discuss the mistakes that they make. Because I think that that's part of what's helped me grow as yeah. a parent is being willing to talk about what we did wrong and not just what we've done right.
1: Right. But that's scary, too. It is scary. Very scary. Yeah. And we go into shame, right? The grown-ups yes. go into shame. Oh, so bad. <laughs> Yes. Yes. yes yeah well thank you thank okay. you for your honesty and your candor and goodbye for today thanks bye Karen
2: thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action please follow our site TraumaAttachmentCenter.com or subscribe to our iTunes channel for future podcasts if you enjoyed our broadcast please leave a review and share with your professional network For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, log on to TraumaAttachmentCenter.com. We hope you'll join us again as we
1: continue to explore the world of adoption, developmental trauma, and attachment theory.